morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your word says rejoice always. And so we want to begin the week rejoicing. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we want to rejoice, like your word says, that our names are recorded in heaven, that we know every day of our lives the best is yet to come, how we rejoice in you, Lord Jesus. And your word says to pray without ceasing. So we pray for the many, many boxes packed, that as they go out, Holy Spirit, you would go with them, that children would open boxes and and receive toys, but receive a far greater gift. May many, many, many students receive, or children receive the free gift of eternal life. May disciples be made, and may the gospel spread rapidly through the world through Operation Christmas Child. We pray as your word is taught today, that, that you would win lost people, that you would build believers, that, that you would equip workers, that you would multiply disciple makers so that our county would be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A little girl is reading her Bible, and a man comes up and says, you don't believe that book, do you? And she said, yeah, yes, I, I believe the Bible. And he says, you don't believe everything that's in it, do you? And she said, yeah, I believe all that's in it. He says, you don't believe that story about, about Jonah being in a fish, do you? And she said, yes, I do. And he says, well, how, how could Jonah be three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and not be, be eaten by all the digest, digestive juices? And she said, that, that's a good question. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And the man said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And she smiled and she said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Oh, man, I love that story. We have a very simple point today's message, but it's very, very important that we get it. And here it is, that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Matter of fact, will you say that with me? The Bible is the Word of God. We've been walking through 1 Peter and now 2 Peter, and our goal in this series has been to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. And as our culture becomes more and more hostile toward Christians, it's so important that we really understand that the Bible is the Word of God, and that's what we're going to unpack today because it's really, really, really important for us. We're going to experience tremendous pressure to abandon the Bible, so it's important we're convinced the Bible is the Word of God. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter. Uh, previously on 1 Peter. Remember when we left off the story, Peter was telling us how important it is that we remember Jesus. And I know because you're such a wonderful congregation, that's what you did this week, right? You remember Jesus. Remember where we left off? Remember we left off in 2 Peter 1, verse 15, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind How do you get people to remember something after you're gone? You do what? You write it in a letter. You write it in a letter so they can read the letter over and over again and remember Jesus. That's why he's writing this letter, so that we could remember. Now we start, verse 16, For we did not 
follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When we shared the gospel with you, it wasn't man-made tales. It wasn't something men made up. It's good news. It's about a real person, Jesus Christ, who really lived, who really died, who really rose, who really is coming back again. It's good news. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Remember, it's his last year. He's headed toward Jerusalem, and Jesus takes with him up on the mount we call Transfiguration. He takes who? Peter. He takes James. He takes John. While he's there, his glorious God that had been veiled is unveiled. Oh, I love the way Mark puts it. You know how Mark puts it? That Jesus' garments were, were whiter than any launderer on earth could make them. Isn't that great? Listen, his glory that had been veiled was now unveiled, and they saw the glory of God. And then, and then they heard a voice. They heard the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It had such an impact on John. Remember, he wrote about it. You remember, right? In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Oh, James and and Peter, we, we saw his glory on the mountain. It was amazing. We saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that's what Peter says. We were eyewitnesses. These are not tales people made up. We saw his glory. We heard the voice of God. And Peter sealed his witness. How do we know what he said is true? Because he sealed his witness with his, his blood, right? And we say, well, if we could have just been there, if we could have just seen him, if we could just could have heard, just could have heard that voice. But Peter says we have something better. We have God's word that we can read over and over again. For we have the prophetic word. We have God's word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Do you know who the morning star is? The morning star is Jesus. How do I know that? Because in Revelation 22, in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things to the churches, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I'm the one that Jewish people have been waiting for, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So here's what the Bible teaches, that we live in darkness. We live in darkness until the Holy Spirit lights up the darkness and helps us to see the bright morning star, Jesus. And when we see Jesus, that's how we can move from darkness to light. Have you? Listen to how Paul puts it, the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For so many years of my life, I walked in the darkness. Are you in the darkness? And then one day, 
One day, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he, he lighted up the darkness in my life, and he helped me to see the bright morning star, to see Jesus. And, and when I saw Jesus, then I saw myself as I had never seen myself before. I saw my sin. Have you ever seen your sin? I began to understand the bad news of the gospel that when I talked back to my parents and was disrespectful and disobeyed them, that was a crime against God, and I was in big trouble. And that when I had lied, and boy, did I lie a lot, that my lies were a sin and a crime against God, and I was in big trouble. And that when I stole, it was a crime against God. And when I abused alcohol and drugs, so many things I had done were crimes against God, and I was in big trouble. But you know, it's not just me. Do you know the Bible says it's true of all of us? The Bible says, for all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Listen, is the Holy Spirit helping you see Jesus? Are you beginning to see today your sin, that you've sinned against God, and you're in big trouble? Oh, and then the Holy Spirit said, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, and I did. And you know what I saw? I saw that God the Son loved me so much that he put on flesh and came to earth for me and for you. Isn't that amazing? And then he lived a perfect life for me, and then he went to the cross, and he died for my sins. He took my sins on him, our sins, and he died in our place. But you know, he didn't stay dead on the third day. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And you know what? He offers us eternal life. Every Christian, every Christian has a verse, don't they? Every Christian has a verse that the Holy Spirit used to really turn the lights on so we could see Jesus and see ourselves and, and trust him. You know what that word, verse was for me, don't you? If you've been here, you know, right? Listen, here's the verse. Here's the verse that changed my life. I'll never forget hearing and the lights came on. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus said, smiling, I want to forgive you. You know what? If you've seen your sin, the one thing you want is to be forgiven. And he said, listen, I, I, I want to move into you. Let's do life together. Listen, I can run your life so much better. Let's do life together. Let's do eternity together. And listen, when Jesus says, let's be friends, when Jesus says, listen, let's, let, let's do life in eternity, what do you say? You say, yes, right? Oh, man. So know what I did? I said, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And listen, if you've never received him, won't you? Won't you admit, too, that you've sinned? And I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And if you've never done that, won't you believe? And then I received him, Jesus, be my Savior and forgive me. So good to be forgiven. Wouldn't you like to be forgiven? And I said, Jesus, give me eternal life. And he did. It's so good to know I'm going to live forever, wouldn't you? And I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. And he has, won't you? Oh, for over 50 years, we've been friends doing life together, and I look forward to spending eternity with him, don't you? You see, when the light comes on and you see Jesus, you say, yes. And I'm an evangelist, and I, and I love, I love when the Holy Spirit turns the lights on because when I ask someone, uh, would you like to receive the gift of the Holy, or the, would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? And when the lights are on, you know what they say? Who wouldn't? Right? Who wouldn't want to be forgiven? Who wouldn't rather do life with Jesus than without him? Who wouldn't rather do eternity with him than without him? And when we do, we move from darkness to light. Wow, if you've never moved, won't, 
Won't you move from darkness to light by receiving Christ? And if you have, won't you thank him so much? Wow, Jesus, I can't believe I'm forgiven. I can't believe I get to do life and eternity with you. Thank you. So that's what Peter is talking about in, back in chapter 1. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a light a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart until the Holy Spirit helps us to see Jesus and Jesus moves in. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. How often do we hear people say, well, that's just your interpretation. No, the Bible is God's word and it means something. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. What do we mean when we say the Bible is the Word of God? We mean that men spoke from God. Men spoke from God. Do you know that in the Old Testament there are 417 times that it says, thus says the Lord. Uh, you think God's trying to get our attention? 417 times the prophet says, thus says the Lord. So how did these men do it? How did these men say, thus says the Lord? They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak from God. And what that means is the secondary authors of the Bible are The writers, the writers, they are the secondary author of the Bible. And who is the primary author? Who is the primary author is who? The Holy Spirit is the primary author. So the Holy Spirit on the prophets of old moved in them so they would say, thus says the Lord. So then you say, well, well what about in the New Testament? And the same is true. We are moving towards 2 Peter 3. And when we get to 2 Peter 3, we'll get to verse 15. And, and Peter is talking about Paul and his writings. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, you see, he says Paul's letters are, are part of Scripture because Paul also was inspired by and moved by the Holy Spirit. In all his letters, speaking in them of thing, these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable do, distort, as they also do the rest of the Scriptures. When they... <clears throat> When they mislead people with Paul's writings, they're doing that with all of Scripture because Paul's writings were a part of Scripture. So, the Bible is the Word of God means that men were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. So when the Apostle Paul taught the same thing in 2 Timothy 3, he used the word God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. See where it says all Scripture is inspired by God? If you have a new international version that does it literally, it says all scripture is God breathed. That means that God breathed into men who wrote down exactly what God intended. God breathed. Now the word Peter uses, the word Peter uses is not God breathed. It's the word Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and it's um, 
It's a sailing term. It's a sailing term that means to bring and carry. You know, you have a sailboat. A uh, sailboat has no engine, so how does a sailboat move? It, it raises a sail right, and then what happens? The, the wind, what? Carries it along. The, move, the, the wind moves it along. The word pharaoh is used in only one other place in all the New Testament other than 2 Peter 1. And it's used in a sailing context. Remember when the Apostle Paul, he's headed to Rome as a prisoner. He's on a ship. He says, don't leave. They didn't listen. And so as they venture out, they get caught in a nor'easter, a Euroquillo. And let me pick up the story. Let me show you where this word is used one other time. But before very long, as they're headed to Rome, Paul's a prisoner, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Euroquillo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. That's the same word. So if you can imagine this, this ship, and it's what? It's being carried along. It's being moved along by the storm. That's the same word picture that Peter is using that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, okay? So what have we learned so far? We've learned that the, the Bible is the word of God. And now we're going to do something I don't do very often, but I, I need you to put on your theological caps, okay? You like my hand? See what it says? It says what? I love theology. I do. Do you? Do you know what theology means? Theos is God and logos is study. And so it means I love to study about God. And there was a time when theology was the queen of sciences, okay? The reason I put on my hat and you need to put on your hat is it's going to get a little theological in here, and you're going to need to pay a little more attention than usual, but it'll be worth your while. It'll be worth your while because we live in a culture hostile to God's Word, and it's really important that we understand what it means when we say the Bible is the Word of God, so we're equipped to follow Him in a culture hostile, okay? So pay attention. You're smarter than the average congregation. You can handle it, okay? So here's our doctrinal statement uh, about the authority of the Bible, that we believe the Bible is the Word of God and has the right to command our belief in action. Okay, I read it. Now, now read it with me, okay? We believe the Bible is the Word of God and has the right to command our belief in action. Now, the next paragraph is important, too. We believe the Scriptures to be the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient Word of God. So read that with me, Okay. We believe the scriptures to be the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient word of God. All right, now I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to walk you through that because this is really, really risk important. So don't fall asleep. Stay with me. So I got my cap on, okay? We believe the scriptures to be the inspired. The word inspired means God breathed. So God breathed into men who wrote down exactly what God intended. What do we mean by inspired? We believe in plenary inspiration. Plenary inspiration means the very words were inspired. The words in the Bible were inspired by God. They were breathed into men, so they wrote down exactly what God intended. That's why being familiar with Greek and Hebrew can be helpful in understanding Scripture because the words were inspired. Uh, and then there is organic inspiration, which means the entire person was inspired. What that means is Matthew still was a tax collector, 
And uh, Luke still was a doctor. And, and so their own personalities are reflected in their writings, but they wrote what God intended. That's why Matthew tells you there were two blind men, because he's used to counting. He liked to count things. And Luke was a doctor, so Luke would say, no, they were blind. Right? Okay. So we believe that they were inspired, plenary, organic uh, inspiration. All right, because the Bible is inspired and God breathed, it is inerrant, inerrant. And what inerrant means, it's without error in all that it teaches. Everything the Bible teaches is true. The Bible says we're sinners. We're sinners. The Bible says that Jesus is God-made man. It's true that he is. The Bible is inerrant in all that it teaches. Because the Bible is inspired and inerrant, it's infallible. It's infallible. And the word infallible means trustworthy. And you say, well, what is trustworthy? It means there's no whoopsies in the Bible. You say, well, what's a whoopsie? Well, Karen went to the University of Florida, and when we were dating, I would go see her, and we'd go and eat breakfast at a place called Skeeter's in Gainesville. If you're old, you remember it. If you're young, you don't. But it had these big biscuits, and they were so good. We get married. Years later, we have kids. We're in Gainesville for a soccer tournament early one Saturday morning. The people say, let's have breakfast. And I say, oh, I know this great place. It's called Skeeter's. Now, young people, this was before GPS. This was before phones. You just had to follow people in those days, okay? So this whole train of people followed me, and I got to the shopping center, and it wasn't there. And these hungry people were mad. They had trusted me, and I was not trustworthy. Whoopsies. But if we build our life and if we follow Jesus, he's worth following and there will be no whoopsies. That's what infallible means, okay? So we've unpacked inspired, inerrant, infallible. And the next word, very important, is authoritative. Authoritative. That means for a Christian, the Bible is the final rule of faith and practice. The Bible determines what we believe. The Bible determines the way we live, okay? This is why we will be hated. In John 17, verse 14, as Jesus is praying for us, he prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. What did the world do to Jesus? What did they do? They nailed him to a cross. So why do we think that people in our culture are going to clap and applaud that we're following Jesus? I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are a people of the book. And what we believe is at odds with our culture. We believe God created us. Our culture does not. We believe people are sinful. Our culture does not. We believe there's one way to be saved. Our culture does not. That's our beliefs, and we'll be hated for our beliefs. And then there's our practices. We believe God created us male and female. There's two sexes. We believe that God instituted marriage. It's the permanent union of one man and one woman. We believe the Bible teaches that sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed between a husband and wife alone. That puts us at odds with our culture. And our, there's a moral and spiritual revolution sweeping across our standard and our country. And what stands in the way? The people of the book. We need to be ready and prepared. 
Are you? Um, some people in our culture will hate us because they'll say we're too narrow. Too narrow. Just one way to God? And other people will hate us because we're way too gracious. Wait a minute. You say a person can sin and sin and sin and then just believe in Jesus and go to heaven? Why, actually, yes, like the thief on the cross, right? Are you ready? The Bible is our final rule, not our culture. The Bible is the final rule of faith, what we believe and practice what we do. And Jesus said, get ready, we'll be hated because of it. Ah, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient Word of God. Sufficient Word of God. What that means is everything we need to know, to know Jesus and be equipped for every good work is in the Bible. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Do you see how small this is? This is a little over a thousand pages. There's a bunch of attorneys in my family. You ever go in their offices? There's all these books of all these laws, and we have one little book that everything we need to know Jesus and be equipped for every good work is here. Isn't that what we read? Remember back when we were in 2 Timothy 3, remember? Remember how it said all scriptures inspired by God? You know what that means, the parts you like and the parts you don't? I mean, there's a lot of the Bible I don't like. God didn't consult me. This is his word. It's all his word, okay? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That's why we gather and, re, and, and we go through his word for reproof. When we're off track, it gets us back on for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Wow. And so that's what we mean when we say that we believe the Bible is the Word of God and has the right to command our belief in action. We believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient Word of God. Some of you say, well, Sonny, I, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that. Uh, I mean, why should I believe in that? And I would say the reason that I would encourage you to believe that is because Jesus does. That's why. Matter of fact, if you're here checking out the Christian faith, don't stumble over the Bible being the Word of God. I want to invite you, just like my young life leader. My young life leader didn't try and convince me that, Jesus, that the Bible is God's Word. He just said, come and see Jesus. If you're here, just come and see Jesus, okay? And I believe if you come and the Holy Spirit turns the lights on, you're going to see yourself and you're going to see Jesus and you're going to say, Jesus, come in. That's what I did. And you know what happened when I began to follow Jesus? I, I realized that Jesus had a very, very high view of Scripture. He did. And because Jesus had a high view of Scripture, so do I. Matter of fact, when Jesus prayed for us, he prayed that we would have a high view of Scripture. In John 17, when he's praying for us, notice what he said. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, this is God's word, and he prayed that we would love it and follow it and be changed by his word. So, I'm going to take my theology cap off because we're through the really heavy part now, okay? And now we're going to turn from the Bible is the word of God and what our action step is for this week. And what I want you to do this week is I want you to abide in his word. Abide. Since it is his word, abide in his word. In John 8, 31, we read, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So do you believe Jesus? If you do, then he's speaking to you. And he said, If you continue in my word and Many translations will say, if you abide, it's the same word used in John 15, 5, 5 about abiding. If you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. 
So what we're going to see happening in our culture is we're going to see a lot of people leaving the church. You know why? Because it's going to get hot. And he says, how will you know his disciples? He tells us, if you abide in my word, even in a hostile culture, then you're truly disciples of mine. And here's what he promises. You will know the truth in a confused culture, and the truth will make you free. You won't have to wake up every day and, and, and get online to find out what to believe today because God's word never changes, okay? Now, uh, I, I want to take that abide in his word, and first I want to help you understand again his word, his word, what his word really is. Recently, I was talking to someone, and they said, well, you know, finally, the Bible is kind of like an owner's manual. It teaches us how to live. And I said, that's not real, you know, all bad, but it's, it's, it's really not an owner's manual. Uh, did you know that my sister-in-law gave me her car? Is that amazing she gave me her car? And do you know it has an owner's manual? Where do you think the owner's manual is? In the glove compartment, right? How many times do you think I've read it? How many? Twice. I got the car. The steering wheel was too low. So what do you think I did? I opened up the glove box, I got out the owner's manual, and I read how to raise the, and I did it all by myself. If I do something, I'm amazed. Wow. I stuck it back in the glove compartment, and it stayed there until time changed. And when time changed, the clock was wrong in my car, so I got out the, the owner's manual another time, and I opened it up, and I read it, and I changed the clock all by myself by following the owner's manual. But that's what a lot of people think of the Bible. You just pick it up every now and then if you've got a problem and you learn how to fix it. But you know what I don't do with my owner's manual? I don't wake up every morning and get a cup of coffee and read the owner's manual. I don't gather in a small group and open up the owner's manual and talk about how amazing it is. But you know what I have in my hands? A love letter from Jesus. Listen, the Bible is one story. It's a rescue story. The Bible's not primarily about what we do for God. It's about what he's done for us. It's his love letter that we would know the links that he went to to rescue us and how wonderful life is with him. That's what changes everything. It's not an owner's manual. It's a love letter. That's why I get up and read it. That's why I love to share it with you. It's the greatest rescue story ever. You remember, right? Remember when Strider opened up 2 Peter? We read the first few verses. You remember, right? And we read in 2 Peter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How many of you would like more grace? How many would like more peace? You could have it. You could have it. How? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And how do we get to know Him? In His Word, so that we experience more grace and more peace. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. How do we know all that's ours in Christ? How do we know all that He's given to us if we don't open up His Word and let Him tell us? Listen to this next verse. What if we believed it was a love letter? 
What if we believe, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. It's his letter to us of his precious and magnificent promises. Wouldn't that make us want to get up and read it? Wouldn't it make us want to come to worship? Wouldn't it make us want to gather in small group? And look at these promises. They're precious. They're magnificent. And if I ask you to name five or six precious and magnificent promises, could you do it? Oh, man, you got a couch. I could go on for hours. Precious and magnificent promises. <laughs> oh. Do you know when I read his word, Jesus says, I've forgiven you. Is that precious? You know what he says? I've given you the Holy Spirit. Is that precious? You know what he says? He says what I so love to hear. He says, I will never desert you nor ever forsake you. Do you know how many people I've disappointed in my life to have a friend who says, no matter what you do, I'm never living. You know what Jesus said to me? He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He took someone who was stealing from other people and wrecking his life. And he said, if you'll follow me, I'll use you to make a difference in eternity. Is that amazing? You know what Jesus has promised to me? He's promised he's going to get me safely home, and he's promised me the best is yet to come. That's why I get up and read his word. It's about his precious and magnificent. Isn't that why we gather? Isn't that why we love to go to small group? So we can open up and read and share with one another his precious and magnificent promises. Uh, so that's his word. It's his love letter to us. It's the greatest rescue story ever. And then how about the abide? The word abide means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. To be with a friend who loves you and stay there. And uh, if we're going to abide in this word, the first thing I would encourage you to do in a hostile culture is team up. Don't try and do this alone. The pressure we are going to experience in our country in the days ahead to abandon the Bible is going to be intense. We need each other. So let me show you a great proverb and Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, how many of you want to be a fool? Oh, I saw a hand almost then. Oh, I don't want to do that. How many of you like to be wise? If you'd like to be wise, the Bible says, if you want to be wise, go where wisdom gathers. Where are you going to hear the Bible is the word of God, but in a Bible-believing church, right? Go where wisdom gathers. Avoid where wisdom scatters. <laughs> Don't try and do it alone. Listen, good news has many, many, many flaws, um, especially me. But I want you to know we love Jesus, and we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and we need to find a church and join it and be a part of it and we need to fight for one another and not against one another because we're going to need each other to team up for God's word in the days ahead. And as we team up, the next thing we need to do is to cultivate certain skills, how to read his word and how to study his, and how to pray his word and how to share his word. And that's why we're always inviting you to, to pick up the study. We want to help you learn how to read and pray and share his word. Listen, to read his word means that we read his word. And, and won't, won't you join us as we read his word together? 
And sometimes when we read his word, we want more, so we study his word. This week, we were reading 1 John, right? And I kept saying, no, no, not N-O, but N-O-K-N-O-W. No, no, no. And I thought, wow, do you know what's in there 36 times? 36 times it's important that we know God's word. And then I look for feel. You know how many times it was in there? None. What it really says, it's so important we know God's word. And then we're at a staff meeting and Tim says, love is in there a lot. Love is in there a lot. So then I went back and looked and love's in there 36 times too in five chapters. Love's really important too, isn't it? See, sometimes we read his word and, and we want more, so we study, right? So reading and studying is about getting God's word in us. And we hear his word. That's what we're doing today. We're hearing his word. And, and we can memorize his word, right? And we can meditate on it. And one of the ways we meditate on God's word is we pray his word. So we're trying to equip you that as you read the word, to pray the word. Oh, Lord, help me to go where wisdom gathers. Help me avoid where wisdom scatters. Lord, uh, help me to continue in your word because I want to be a disciple of yours. And then, if we want to continue in his word, we must cultivate the practice of sharing what we're learning. Sharing what we're learning. Let me show you a verse in 2 Timothy Two, verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As you come and hear God's word, it's important you pray it and then you go and you share it. And, and you say, well, why is that so important? When Karen was homeschooling, I'll never forget these statistics. When Karen was teaching homeschooling, it said we remember 10% of what we read, we remember 20% of what we hear, we remember 70% of what we discuss. Why is it important to go to a small group and gather with others and discuss God's Word? Because your retention will go up two and a half times, 70%. But we remember 90% of what we teach. We remember 90% of what we teach. If we want to abide in His Word, we have to learn to share it with others. Do you know why I know the Ten Commandments and most of you don't? Do you know why I know the books of the Bible and most of you don't? Do you know why I know Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and Ephesians? It's not because I'm smarter than you. You know why I know them? Because I am continually teaching them to others. And when I share them with others, then I remember them myself. You want to remember God's word? Become a disciple maker. When you win people to Christ and you're sharing the gospel, you'll remember the gospel yourself. When you build up believers and you help others get established in worship and, and small group and reading the word, you'll do it yourself because you're teaching it. When you help others answer the question, who am I, identity, where do I belong, community, what's my purpose, why am I here, where am I going, hope. When you're teaching others, when you're sharing that with others, you'll know it because we remember 90% of what we teach. Um, Want to remember God's word? Lead a small group, be a small group leader. Do you know if you lead a small group, you'll be in church more often than if you don't? Did you know that? You'll get far more out of it than the people in your small group. And do you know if you lead a small group, you'll be in small group more often than if you don't? You know why? Why is that? You're the leader. You got to be there, right? Isn't that what we need to remain in His Word? Oh, man. His love letter to us 
It's so important we team up and we cultivate how to read, how to pray, and then how to share. Sharing his word is so important in remembering his word. So, what have we learned today? Something very, very important. The Bible is the word of God. Now, imagine if we believe that. I mean, I've taught you before my oldest daughter loves to open new books when she was little and she'd smell it because she loved the smell of books. What if we believe this book smelled like Jesus? Wouldn't it be the delight of our lives to open it up and smell Jesus. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. You'll know Jesus and the truth will make you free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that the Bible is a story about what you've done for us and not what we could ever do for you. Thank you for coming to rescue us. Thank you for dying and rising and, and offering us eternal life. I'm just about to say, if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, maybe he's really trying to get your attention, right? If you hear him knocking, won't you receive him? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm, I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose and I want you to come in and, and be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've received him for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you and help you grow. Jesus, we're thankful that when you ascended into heaven, you left your church, you left the Bible, you left your spirit so that we could know the truth. Thank you for a book that's all about you, Jesus. Help us to believe. Help us to believe that it is the word of God. Help us to believe that it's about you. And Lord, may we love to spend time with you in your word, reading your word and studying your word and hearing your word and memorizing your word and meditating upon your word. And Lord, may we love to pray your word. And oh Lord, may we love to share your word. Oh, may we help fill our county up with the knowledge of the word of God. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.